You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Our reading this morning is in Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll find that in your church Bibles on page 1209, I think, I hope. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll read from the beginning. If any of you are thirsty, I just ask your forgiveness. It's a bit early since I had my coffee. Hebrews chapter 11, this chapter on the heroes of faith. By faith, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And now we come to the story of Abraham. And you'll notice as we go through that there are four stages in this man's journey through life, the journey of faith. And each time it's introduced by those words, by, thank you, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the scars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, 
offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is the word of the Lord. And it's a neat summary of just the way in which Abraham's faith grew and actually enabled him to keep going to the very end. But if you go back into the Old Testament and read the whole of Abraham's story, one thing stands out a mile. God and the Bible doesn't do plaster saints. You know, Abraham, in a way, is perhaps one of the greatest of the Old Testament saints, if not the greatest, the archetypal man of faith. But when you read Genesis, you get a picture of him warts and all, full of human weaknesses, moral failures. And his life is full of highs and lows, and it has to be said that in some of those lows, he hit rock bottom. I don't think uh, he would have been put very high on the list for beatification. And yet Paul asks us in Romans at the beginning of this gospel exposition, what does scripture say? And then he answers the question like this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as, thank you, righteousness. You're a great congregation. One of the nice things about preaching in Indonesia is that you do it two ways, so be warned. We've just read about these four steps in Abraham's life, each introduced by those words, by faith. And you can see as you go through that progression just how this man's faith grew as he came to realize God can be trusted. And that first step is there in verse 8. Do you see it? I hope you're reading. By faith, Abraham, when called to go up to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. If you look at the background back in Genesis 12, you'll find the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And, and then he adds this promise, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth, my, what a promise, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And the verse then adds, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. What a challenge. Abraham, I want you to leave home. You know, you're comfortable there. You've got a nice place. But I want you to leave. I want you to trust me. And you'll be all right. In fact, you'll be better than all right. I bet that guy had some sleepless nights, can't you imagine? I can imagine him running through his mind. I wonder what Sarah is going to say. You can't be serious. Leave home? Now? Dad is getting old? Where are you going? What do you mean you don't know? You really can't be serious. Hey, and what about that having a baby? Remember we were going to have a baby? Like this is going to help. Poor old Abraham. I just wonder, sometimes I think he must have had some tussles with Sarah. You see, Ur, they say, was a, a civilized kind of place. That's where they were originally living. And I doubt very much whether she fancied the idea of swapping the shopping malls for the desert. But for Abraham, the deal breaker must have been, can I trust God? Can I? If he's calling me to do something that, humanly speaking, looks highly unlikely, can I really trust him? Of course, if he didn't take that first step of faith, 
he was never going to find out. And this is an example in Abraham's life of what Paul calls the obedience that comes from faith. Paul says in Romans 1.5, Through him, that is through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to what? To the obedience that comes from faith. People, when they say to you, oh, it's all right for you, you've got faith. What do they think that means? Some kind of nebulous spirituality? It's not what the Bible means. Faith is that confident trust in God that actually motivates us and moves us to do something. It's not airy-fairy. It results in concrete obedience. Well, of course, what God was asking Abraham to do wasn't a small thing. They say that Ur was a kind of cultured sort of place, so if he was going to have to leave there, it would have felt to be counter-cultural. But he does leave. And if you read the story, you'll find that he travels up north for about five or 600 miles to another city which was fairly flourishing. It was on a caravan route, a place called Haran. And then when his father Terah dies, he heads off on the second leg of the journey down southwest to Canaan. And I'm sure he still had that call of God ringing in his eyes that kept him moving. Trust me. Walk with me. I will bless you. I will take care of you and your family. And I will make you a blessing. You know, right the way through Scripture, as you read it, you discover from the earliest time in the Garden of Eden that God is always calling out to mankind. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, and yet there's a sense in which you wonder, is God actually calling out to me? Can I really trust God? What would it mean if I did step out in faith to trust him and become a Christian? And God says to you, trust me, walk with me, I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, I will take care of you and your family. I created you that you might have a relationship with me, that you might become my friend. So think about it. And if God is calling you to trust him and step out in faith, or perhaps you are a Christian. And maybe you feel that God is challenging you and calling you to a new step of faith. And he says, trust me. Walk with me. I will take care of you. I will take care of your family. And I will make you a blessing. And you're asking yourselves, but what if I actually did step out in faith? Where would I end up? What would happen to my career? What would it be like to have to perhaps leave my friends, my family? Famous man Rene Padillo said that one day he told an old missionary that he was going to become a full-time Christian worker. And he said, this missionary said to him this, God is not going to give you a map. but he will give you his hand. He wants to walk hand in hand with us and be a friend. You see, in a sense, that's what the Christian life is all about, isn't it? It's walking in fellowship with God. That's what he created us for. And there'll always be an empty hole in our hearts until we enter into that relationship with him. Interestingly, James describes Abraham this way. He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called anybody there? <laughs> he was called God's friend. So right back there, even with Abraham, you have this picture of a man who 
incredibly had this kind of relationship with God, even though in those days he didn't have the word of God to guide him. So that was his first step, a high point. The second step is there in verse 9. And it wasn't long before he comes down to earth with a bump. Verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. And it's here I think that Abraham had to learn to trust God, you might say, for the bread and butter of life, for what it means to live as a friend of God. In Genesis 12, you read that he took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran, that's when he was up north, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Whereas what it says here in Hebrews, nice and neat and simple, is by faith he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, and he lived in tents. Very simple. Sounds almost idyllic, doesn't it? He's arrived where he didn't know where he was going, but he's there, he's arrived. He's set up camp. It's time to get out the champagne and pop the cork. Have a party. Except that it wasn't a safari. And you get a clue to it when it says, by faith he made his home. Do you see the next words there? Like a stranger in a foreign country. Now there are a lot of you here who are in foreign countries and you maybe just know what I'm talking about. Some people these days travel abroad for their holidays and they think it's all fun, shorts, flip-flops and suntan lotion, not to mention tummy bugs. But to settle down somewhere, to actually leave your country, to go to another country and to have to earn your living there, that's a whole different ballgame just as it's a different ball game for those of you who are here studying. Different customs and cultures. Some of you thought you knew English before you came here and then you discover the Scots have got their own way of doing it. It's funny how many foreign students I discover with Scottish accents these days. But the language is strange. You've lost your friends at home and your familiar cues. And you ask any missionary whether suddenly finding yourself in a different culture and a different country is fun. That's not the word you'd use. It's a steep learning curve. I know that kind of feeling where you you think, my goodness, I just can't get across what I'm trying to get across. And you begin to feel a bit stupid and you think, these people must think I'm stupid. I'm talking just like a two-year-old child in this language. And you feel misunderstood and you lack self-confidence. You're not quite sure what you ought to do or how to behave. Sometimes it's called culture shock and it ain't nice. Well, I wonder if Abraham was having culture shock. One thing you discover when you read his story living in this foreign land is that he wobbled. He might have been somebody important back in the town of Ur, but he was nobody here. As far as God was concerned, he was on course, but we read there was now famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. My goodness, that must have been bad news. Can't you imagine Sarah turning around and looking at him? You brought me here. And think of all the people he brought with him. It was a great herd and a horde. His dead brother's son, Lot. God would be saying to Abraham, trust me, trust me, I've told you. And I can say Abraham turning around and saying, I am trusting you, but what about this Lot? Am I responsible for all of them? And then perhaps one day, uh, Sarah did the old Mother Hubbard act. You know, she went to a cupboard. I don't know if they've got cupboards in tents, have they? Well, maybe they have. And she found there was nothing there. Look, dear, she says, I've, I've, I've gone along with you for so long on this response to God's call sort of thing. 
But this is a camp too far. Are you sure you're doing what God really wants you to do? The shops are empty. The chickens have died. No marmalade on your toast. In fact, no toast. So what? You've got to do something. must have looked like a right mess for Abraham. A challenge to his faith. You know, life doesn't go smoothly. It's not all like it's drawn out to be in the fairy tales. But the question is, if God is really your friend, if you are really trusting God, can you trust God when life looks a bit like a mess? Can you? That's when you might say the rubber hits the road, isn't it? As somebody put it, we, God is weaving out some marvelous pattern for our lives. But the trouble is that we're on the underside of the loom looking up at the weaving and so often all we can see are the tangled skeins hanging down. God sees the overall picture. I remember an occasion once when I was speaking to an uncle of mine who was paralyzed and something had happened in my own life that I really couldn't understand and I just said to him, Uncle Larry, I cannot understand how God could let that happen. And he said this to me, we judge by the going. God sees the goal. We judge by the going. God sees the goal. We're not always given to see how the mess will sort out. Sometimes we do. And on that particular occasion, I did. But I'm sure at that time, Abraham must have wondered if he'd got it all wrong. To his credit, and this is in keeping of the theme of Hebrews, he didn't turn back. To his credit, he went on and he decides that he'll go down to Egypt because... The famine is severe. I'm sure the Egyptian supermarkets must have made some sense to him. And in a sense, I, I wouldn't judge him for that. I think that was a pretty reasonable thing to do. But it's the way that he did it that was the problem and raises the eyebrows. Because what we find is that this so-called saint is more like Del Boy. Or to use the in-word, he's a pretty dodgy saint. He goes down there and he's got a problem. And he thinks, God isn't up to being able to handle this problem. My wife, Sarah, is beautiful. Whether she was or not, I don't know, but he certainly was in the eyes of Abraham. That's nice. She's beautiful. But the next thing that came along in his thinking was atrocious. He thought, Sarah likes pretty women. Sarah's going to kill me in order to take Sarah away for his entertainment. So he said to Sarah, you just go around saying, you're my sister. Don't let him know you're my wife. What a way to treat, that's hardly Valentine's, is it? <laughs> what a way to treat your wife. This saint, not a plaster saint. Well, he tries that. And if you know the story, telling half-truths, it got him into an awful lot of trouble. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to, you know that one, all right, deceive. You know, God doesn't do plaster saints, but God doesn't do lies either. However tempting and clever it might be for us to manipulate the truth, that's not trusting God. God had promised him, trust me and I'll take care of you and yours. And here is Abraham trying to fix it for himself with his dodgy ethics. And no wonder he ends up to his octas in hot water. Sorry, up to his armpits, whatever that is in normal English. The thing that I find nice is that mercifully God doesn't damn him for it. 
surely a, a reminder of God's protecting, forgiving grace. If you, Lord, the psalmist had said, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we may reverence and serve you. Abraham hadn't really learnt, give us this daily bread. And he hadn't yet learned, Jehovah Jireh, that the Lord will provide. But then after that sordid story, when in the gracious handling of God, he doesn't get his head chopped off by Pharaoh, they go back to the place where they first put their tent up. And it all looks as if everything's just going to be fine, when suddenly there's another family crisis. As I'm saying, this man is having to learn to trust God for the normal things that happen in our lives. And the family crisis that suddenly crops up is that there's a dispute between his cowboys and Lot's cowboys. They're fighting for water, they're fighting where they put their herds and so on and so forth. And so they have to decide that they've got to split up. They can't possibly go on with this kind of existence. And so Abraham takes Lot out into the country and he says, all right, Let's make a decision. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If I, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Must have been May the 7th. You're not up to that one this morning. General election coming up, May the 7th. Thank you. Well, you know the story. Lot chooses the beautiful, lush, fertile valley of the Jordan. And it looks as if he's onto a good thing. The only trouble was there was a big city there called Sodom, and that was bad news. But it looks as if in trusting God, Abram is suddenly getting the pits and the raw end of the deal. And it's precisely at that point we read in the story that God comes after Abraham and says, after Lot had left him, look around from where you are now to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that it cannot be counted. So go and walk the breadth and length of the land. I'm giving it to you. And so with that, he feels strengthened and he goes to a place called the Oaks of Mamre. Sounds like a hotel, doesn't it? You know, go down to the Oaks of Mamre. And there he sets up his home and his tent once again. And you think, peace at last. But it ain't that way. Why? Well, news comes to him that where his brother's son, Lot, has gone to that beautiful valley of the Jordan... And where Lot has moved out of the valley into the town of Sodom, suddenly war has broken out. And all the kings of the valley, or the warlords, are fighting from one another. And, bad news, Lot gets captured along with his family. I think if I'd have been Abraham, I might have said, well, he serves him right. He was so jolly selfish, choosing the best spot for himself. And then I can hear my wife saying, no, 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 he's family. You don't talk like that about family now. You don't just leave him. You're responsible for him being here in the first place. You said you'd take care of it. Abraham is just a pilgrim with tents, with people who don't know how to fight. Large number, about two or three hundred or more. And he decides, I've got to go to battle with these kings in the valley and rescue Lot. And incredibly, he wins. Victory. And it's at that point a very mysterious figure in the Bible emerges. His name is, thank you, you've all been doing your study, Melchizedek. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise to God Most High, who delivered your enemies out of your hand. Then, the Bible says, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. 
Now, what's happening here? He hears this message from this man, Melchizedek. God Most High has delivered your enemies into your hands. And couldn't God Most High have done that when he went down to Egypt and protected him? And wasn't God still sovereign over that division that became between the two families and could have brought about blessing? And the very fact that we read here Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek shows that he's beginning to understand at life, at last, victory has nothing to do with his cleverness. It's all God's doing. Some of you know Kenneth Branagh's portrayal of King Henry V? Any of you? Yeah? Seen it? No? Nobody? After the battle, they go around singing, Non nobis domini, not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name. And if only it had been written at that time, I think that's what Abraham and his family ought to have sung. Because God had taught him a fundamental principle about what it means to walk with God in the life of faith. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It is God who forwards his purposes. It's not my cleverness, not my abilities, not my strength. David once said, with your help I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can leap over a wall. Well, I'm past the stage of being able to leap over walls, I'm afraid, but you know what he means. Nothing is too hard for him. And so his understanding of what it meant to walk with God and who God is, is getting bigger. Abraham's not getting bigger. His understanding of who God is, that's what's growing. And that takes us to the third stage. By stay, first stage, he had learned to obey. The second stage, he is learning to recognize that it is God who helps him through life's troubles. And then in verse 11, it says, And by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the, sea, the sand on the seashore. Now this is when Abraham discovers that God is not thwarted, that God keeps his word no matter what the odds are against him, no matter whether the thing looks impossible. This is the story of the birth of Isaac, the child of the promise. I once heard James Boyce, who was minister of 10th Presbyterian Philadelphia, retell Donald Gray Barnhouse's imaginative retelling of the story. Now, given the, what I think are the rapidly multiplying holes in my little gray cells, I can't remember all the details of what he said, but I can remember the way in which he explained it. And it was something along these lines. This is my version. You see, Abraham had become rich. He'd accumulated a great deal. And he set up his camp at the Oaks of Mamre. And that would have put him on the major north-south caravan route. And a kind of oasis come travel lodge, come service station on the M6, if you like. That's the place where the camels would come and fill up their tanks. It was all self-service in those days. And the drivers then could get a bed for the night. So it was a good place to be. And Abram was landlord and mine host. And you know what it is in the East. Uh, hospitality and conversation has certain kind of forms and follows certain kind of traditions. It would be traditional for the host to serve coffee to his visitors. And the conversation would be fairly typical and would start off by saying, well, uh, nice to meet you. And what's your name? Oh, uh, well, that's what they always do. They always did that in Indonesia. I don't know if they still do it in the rest of the world. But, you know, the first question they would ask me was, how many children did I have? And when I would say to them, well, we've, we've got four. O only, only four? <laughs> that was Indonesia. 
Only four? Yeah, but they're boys. Oh, that's all right then. Now, up to this point, I've been calling him Abraham. But all you clever people will know that's not really what he was called at this point in the story. So these people would say to him, excuse me, I, I, I didn't quite catch your name. Abram. Oh, Abram. That's what your name is. Ah, exalted father. I suppose that's what all these tents around here uh, are telling us. You're the exalted father. And how many children do you have? None. And that night after night, as each camel train went through, would be the same kind of scenario. And the servants would be, whoops, hiding a smile. And Sarah would feel bad. Abraham would feel embarrassed or worst because it undermined his faith. God had just said to him, look at the stars in the sky. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Trust me, walk with me. I'll bless you. I will make you a blessing. Nice words. But it was rapidly becoming a little bit as if it were just pie in the sky. Sarah wasn't happy. Abraham, don't you think we ought to do something? Do you know how old I am? And you still think we're going to have a baby? Don't you think we should do something? You know, since we've come here, I've been looking at the Nuzu tablets. That's the kind of local newspaper carved in stone. And according to the Nuzu tablets, you can actually set up a kind of surrogacy arrangement. And if you set up that arrangement, then the child born will be ours legally. So what do you think about that? You know, you remember that girl we brought from Egypt, Hagar, my handmaid? Why don't you have a child by her? That'll help God to fulfill this promise. And of course that's what happened. Abraham's faith wobbles again and he gives in. I could imagine the servants doing a sweepstake. Is it going to be a boy or a girl this time? What are the odds? Well, it was a boy. And at the age of 86, Abram becomes the proud father of Ishmael, the one that's now seen as the father of the Arab nations. J.O. Sanders, the general director of our mission, the China Inland Missions, used to say, and that's why we have to pay so much for our petrol. But the evening the camels would come past, filling up, and the drivers would be served their coffee. What did you say your name was? Abram, Abram, exalted father? Well, how many have you got? One. But he's quite a guy. But you know that's not God's way. Ishmael was not the child of God's promise. It was the child of his flesh. God did not need Abraham and Sarah to engineer things in order that his promises might be fulfilled. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, used to say, God's work done in God's way will not lack God's supply. That's why it's just as important that we do things in God's way if we want to know God's blessing in our lives. God doesn't get into a fix. Well, God's timing is perfect. And when Ishmael gets to his teenage years, God comes back to Abraham and says, Look, Abraham, I've not forgotten. You are going to have a child by Sarah. When 99 years of age, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. 
walk before me and be blameless. This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham because I have made you the father of many nations. Abraham, I'm serious. I am going to fulfill that promise. And as an test of your faith, I want you to change your name and to confirm it with a rite of circumcision. And so what does Saint Abraham do if you read the story? He says he laughed. He thought it was a bit of a joke. Maybe you and I would have thought so too. And later on you find Sarah joining in the joke. Neither of them are exactly a picture of faith. And Abraham cries out, Oh Lord, if only Ishmael could live in your sight. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I can't believe that you're going to do it. You've waited so long now. How can you possibly do it? And yet, despite that official initial wobbling, he must have said something like this. Well, Lord, you know that I'm past it. You know that Sarah doesn't like me talking about her age. She's a lady after all. She's in her 90s. And what's more, all these years she's been playing barren. But you have said to me, trust me. Walk with me. I will bless you. I will take care of you and your family. I will make you a blessing. And I've discovered so far that's precisely what you have done. Therefore, if you want me to go through with this name change and circumcision in faith, I will do it. And so he sets up the rites and the ceremonies for the name change. I don't suppose all the men were terribly happy, and nor were their wives. What on earth is this all about, this changing of name thing? I wonder what he's going to call himself, father of one. After all, he's got Ishmael. And then the word would go around, no, he's going to call himself Abraham, father of multitudes. You must be joking at his age. It's not possible. I hear that Sarah also had a good laugh about it. They must be off their heads. But he wasn't off his head. And when the thing looked utterly impossible, at the age of 100 years, Isaac, the child of the promise, was born. And Abraham had learned that God always keeps his word, even when you're a silver surfer. He doesn't change. How blessed are they that wait and trust in the Lord. And that brings us finally to the great test of his faith, the fourth step, if you like, on Mount Moriah. Verse 17, when by faith, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The incredible thing here, you know, is there a sense in which by faith Abraham was be able to see beyond death? Now I've just seen the time of the clock up there and I know some people don't want me to run into the evening service so I won't go through all the details of what happened on Mount Moriah but you know the story and how incredible it was that he was asked to take his son and sacrifice him. How he could do it as a father. Of course, from the point of view of the New Testament, we can see the symbolism of it all. But at that crucial moment, just as about he's plunged the knife, the voice comes from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And when God repeats the name, it's to wake you up. Don't touch the boy. Don't do anything. I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and took it and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. 
the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And Hebrews puts it this way, Abraham reasoned or accounted that God could even raise the dead and so in a manner of speaking he did receive Isaac back from death. God had said to him, in Isaac, your descendants will be. He began to reason, then it's got to be that way. He had walked long enough and far enough with God to know that in situations where there seems to be a mess or an impossibility and you cannot figure it out, you don't figure it out on your feelings, but you figure it out on what God says. And he had learned enough about God and had faith in God even that he, when he didn't fully understand the things that were happening in his life he decided that it was not beyond reason some things are above our reason for God's ways are higher than ours but that is not to say that they are against our reason and Abraham must have reasoned along these lines Isaac's not yet married God has said that it's not going to be through Ishmael or through my servant Eliezer that the promise is going to be fulfilled. Therefore, if it's going to be through Isaac, and if I am to offer up Isaac to God, then God who did a miracle in Isaac's birth is going to have to do a miracle in Isaac's death. As Paul says in Timothy, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's an impossibility. You see this? God is faithful, therefore, to contradict himself would be an impossibility. God is faithful, so to contradict himself would be an impossibility. He keeps his word. God created all life, Therefore, to raise the dead would not be an impossibility. By faith, he reckoned that God was able to raise men even from dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he received Isaac back from death. His faith had developed an accounting system that helped him to see beyond death itself, accounting that God was able to raise men from the dead. And so he ends with that triumphant cry of faith, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Is God calling someone this morning to take a step of faith? Are you willing to trust him? To entrust your whole life to him. He's certainly not going to give you a map. But he will give you his hand. I once heard a godly old man. He was actually a former moderator of the Church of Scotland. Say just a few days before he died. When I was a student he said this. God will always give you enough light to take one more step. Take that step. God will always give you enough light if you like to take the next step. Take that step. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Nothing before, nothing behind. The steps of faith fall on the seeming void and find the rock beneath. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Just pray quietly for a moment and think. Could it be that God is calling you to step in faith in some way this morning?
Lord, increase our understanding of your word and our knowledge of who you are. Thereby increase our faith to give us the obedience that comes from faith. For your name's sake. Amen. We're going to close by singing a hymn Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.